For those of you who don't know, in 2020, I launched a program with a business partner called the Heal from a Narcissist Program. I pulled the experiences I had from my marriage and transformed them into an eight-week course that transformed women's lives. Then, because I wanted to move on energetically, we closed the program, but the impact that it had on my life and on others continues to go on. It was my birthday recently, and I took a trip to the wine region in Mexico, the Guadalupe Valley, and I mentioned to my new partner how I wanted to close some stress loops. Emily and Amelia Nagoski share about this stress cycle in an interview with Brene Brown on Brene's podcast. Because emotions aren't linear and because the universe loves me and wants me to heal, there was a moment on the trip that came up for the both of us that shocked me. It was small. For anyone else who didn't have the same tender points as I did for my marriage, it likely would have been a minor annoyance. But for me, my heart immediately dropped into my stomach and I felt the exact way I did for many years of my marriage. Then I did what I used to do to cope back then. I made it my fault. I immediately apologized. I tried to make nice. I hated this. I hated that I did this. I'm about three years out from my divorce and I've done a lot of work on my healing and I could not believe that I immediately reverted to this old pattern set up in my childhood where the only way that I could feel safe was to make it my problem. My partner and I talked about it. He realized that there were things that he needed to address too. We didn't wait for the next morning or the next week. We resolved it that night, but there are still things within me calling for my attention because I can feel old lingering habits that still need airtime to heal. This is why I'm excited to bring you today's interview with Kimberly KJ Nasrul. She's a licensed psychotherapist and musician with an obsession for words and a gift for making grilled cheese sandwiches. She's a psychological first aid responder with the Red Cross and a quality improvement specialist in health privacy, and she helps essential frontline workers recover their resilient stories via expressive arts such as music, art, journaling, and compassionate conversations to prevent burnout so that they can continue to uplift and heal their communities. And burnout is one of the things that Emily and Amelia Nagoski shared in that interview with Brene. The music, art journaling, compassionate conversations she's talking about was one of my favorite things about the eating disorder therapy program that I went into when I was healing my bulimia, compulsive overeating, exercising, anorexia, all the things. I was in an intensive outpatient program four days a week after work. And I was in that program for about a year. And on each day, there was something different that we were doing. So Mondays, it was a process group. Tuesdays, it was art. Wednesday, it was movement, like yoga and meditation. And then Thursdays, it was something else. So in addition to that, I also had one-on-one sessions with a therapist. And art therapy was always my favorite because I cannot draw. (laughs) I don't know how to draw at all, but I could collage. I could make really beautiful things be really creative with, you know, whatever supplies were in front of me. It's one of the reasons I think I love interior design so much, just making things look beautiful. And then from that, I had this avenue and this conduit to really talk about deeper things that I had a hard time speaking about. It's probably similar to that technique that I've read in parenting, where if you want to have a harder conversation with your children, you don't have to do it face to face looking at each other because that can be really intense. But instead, you could be driving and have some music playing in the background and be next to each other side to side and then have that conversation or, you know, have an activity that you're both doing in front of you, coloring a game, something like that. So I love that KJ has a podcast called Stories of Astonishing Light, where she's jamming with musicians and artists and trailblazers about creativity for mental wellness. I am a guest on 
her podcast. And I also love that she, you know, really learned to embrace her Asian identity by meeting her husband. And you'll hear about that in today's episode. It's also interesting because she was adopted by non-Asian parents. So she definitely had a very unique experience growing up in California for myriad reasons. She also grew up roller skating along the beaches of LA County. And these days with practice, she's returning to tip top skating shape, which I think is remarkable. So without further ado, enjoy today's interview. Welcome to the Fuck Saving Face podcast. I'm your host, Judy Tsui, and together we'll explore mental and emotional health for Asian Americans, especially breaking through any taboo topics. Life may not always be pretty, but it is indeed beautiful. Let's make your story beautiful today. Welcome back to the Fuck Saving Face podcast, where we will be talking about trauma today. And before you get scared and go away, I want to mention that trauma can happen with a lowercase t as much as an uppercase t. So, you know, that was hugely clarifying to me when I was doing my yoga teacher training that I didn't realize all of these, you know, for you, if you're listening to this and you are part of a marginalized population, the microaggressions that you experience. Those could all be considered traumas with a tiny T, just the things that you go through on a daily basis. And we all go through this. It's not like, you know, one of us is exempt from this, just being human. You have these experiences, but some of us obviously have experienced much more trauma than others. So today I have KJ Nasrul here. She is the founder of Bliss Begins Within, and she's a psychotherapist. But more interestingly to me, when we got on the phone was that she is a psychological first aid responder, which just was huge to me because I'm always fascinated by people who put themselves at the heart of challenging situations. I think most people are conflict avoidant. And so for people who go actively seek and then to be of service is really incredible. And so we're going to be exploring all of that. And ideally, you'll walk away with a better understanding of maybe something that you've been experiencing that you didn't have words to name. And hopefully that will be helpful. And maybe there will also be, you know, a tip or a tool or an insight that you can take. So I'm going to turn it over to KJ for you to share, you know, a bit about your story and how you culturally identify as well. You have a fascinating story there too. (laughs) I was just like, Ooh, Ooh, I I had to pause there for a second. Cause I was like, Oh, that's the question, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Judy, by the way, for having me. I am so excited to be here. I am such a fan of what you do, your work and your podcast. So yeah, I'm just thrilled. I wanted to say that first and foremost, of course. Okay. Well, so story time. (laughs) Oh gosh. So maybe I'll start with the last question you asked, um, mm-hmm. culturally, I, my, my cultural identification. And that's been very, very interesting because I, on the surface, am obviously a BIPOC woman. I am a biracial woman, Filipina and Puerto Rican, although that both of those may or may not be obvious. And I actually only learned about the second of my races in a fairly recently. I I was 21, 22 years old when I learned that my bio father, my birth father, because I am adopted as well, that's the other piece of it. Mm -hmm. My birth father is Puerto Rican, of Puerto Mm. Rican descent. Um, And it's my birth mother who is Filipina. 
And so what makes it a little more complex and interesting is that I didn't identify with either of the races that I learned I was because I was raised in a Caucasian Swiss German household in California, in LA of all places as well. So I wouldn't have exposure. I didn't have exposure to either one of my cultures. Mm. So if someone were to ask me, maybe even as, as recently as five years ago, like how would you culturally identify? No, honestly, maybe last year, how I culturally identified, I there would be a pause. And then I would say a shitload of things like I just did with you. <laughs> <laughs> but it would mostly be like, I'm a woman from California, you know, mm-hmm. and that's how I would start. And then when I would see the pauses or the sort of the puzzled looks on people's faces, or they would do that, that's not what I meant. <laughs> you know, but they don't know how to say that's not what I meant. Mm-hmm. They want to know what this is. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, for those who can't see, obviously, I'm gesturing to my face. Mm-hmm. So now I would say that I am, uh, depending on the sass of the day, I am either Portapina or, <laughs> or Filarican. And I describe myself as a seeker and an artist. I'm a therapist. I am a wife and I'm trying to figure it all out. And speaking of, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but speaking of wife, you told me when we first connected is that you learn about your Asian heritage from your husband, who is himself an immigrant. So can you speak about that? Yes, yes, of course. It's such an interesting story. It's one of those things where like, I'm not being arrogant. I honestly think we have the best story. It's going to be made (laughs) into a book and then a movie at one point. But my husband is from Indonesia and he is from Indonesia. Like he only came here to America to marry me. I'm such a lucky girl that way. (laughs) But so if I wanted to, or if I had any questions around what it's like to be a part of a Southeast Asian family, Mm. I know now because of my husband. It's not Mm. because of my own upbringing. As I'd said, I was raised by a white California household um, and and parents. So what I've learned now in my being with my husband for now 14 years, anything I've learned, uh, not anything, but a lot of what I've learned about the dynamics and the cultural aspects of being an Asian person, certainly an Asian person who's an immigrant in this country, it's been because of my husband and Mm. learning and moving back and forth. I didn't ever live there, but I've been to Indonesia to spend time with my in-laws a lot. Mm. And so I have stories, just stories of the the cultural miscommunications Mm. and assumptions that are made because on some respect, they, my family, my, my in-laws look to me but not for, for learning about what it's like to be an Asian American. They look to me to, to tell them what it's like to be American. Hmm. So, um, so that there's an interesting exchange there. There's well. so many questions that I want to follow up with you. Like one, how did you meet if you met him in Indonesia? <laughs> and two, like, what was it like to be adopted into, you know, a white family? And like, I imagine there must've been so many experiences of you growing up where you're like, these are my parents. And people are like, what are you talking about? That's or right. just your cultural lens, because you know, both a family that you were raised by, and then also 
we had talked before about like when you've gone back to Asia, you're also not Asian because mm-hmm. anybody who's like wasn't born in Asia, you're still seen as an outsider. Right. And then when the world interacts with you, it's a completely different experience too, because they just automatically see your facial, you know, makeup and like how yes. you are and assume <laughs> you are one thing. So yes, is that what propelled you into psychotherapy? <laughs> You're like, how do I wrap that up and make a question (laughs) from it? I think, yes, that's a really short answer because, and I think it's beautiful the way that you mentioned, let's, let's define what trauma could be. And it's everything from a big T trauma of, of what's known commonly say like war, accidents, violence. And then there's little T traumas, which are the microaggressions. The, the dismissals, the judgments, the criticisms, the, the small abandonments, right? And so my answer is that I've experienced all of the above, the big T and the little T. And I've been always very, very curious about where this longing inside me, which I never had words for and, and am only finding now as a writer and as a therapist and as a podcaster, what mm-hmm. words to use mm-hmm. around it. But there was this, always this longing and trying to figure out where I fit in, mm-hmm. where some of the loneliness came from, where some of the sadnesses and feelings of shame came from. Mm. And you and I spoke about this when we last connected. Like I did not feel for the first, I'd say 20 years of my life, I did not feel pretty or attractive. Mm -hmm. So I had to think about what is defined as, what is valued as beautiful or wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to find answers or at least some language around all of these uncategorizable and unlanguaged feelings that I experienced while growing up. Yeah. And I think that you're bringing home a point that's really close to my heart is that the reason that I write and share the way I do, I just spoke with someone this morning who said, I really appreciate your authenticity and your vulnerability because there's always something that I can take away from that. And it's not like what else you see on social media. We joked on another call this morning that I had with a couple of mentors that, you know, what you see on social media isn't real. And Mm -hmm. usually if someone's going through an even harder time, then they try to make the image look better. And you and I had spoke about, yeah, that sociologist who's quoted in Jason book who says like, I am not who I think I am. I am not Mm. who you think I am. I Mm -hmm. am who I think you think I am. So we're just constantly projecting, but not having the words to be able to express this. And then, you know, not knowing the concepts or like code switching has become a term recently. And so that was like, oh my God, that's something that I've done all my life. Now that I have an anchor word to it, I can like start to grasp and define it a little bit better. I can start to do research about it and like, understand like, how does that apply to me? What, you know, is that a normal thing or like normal quote unquote? But I think that this is why we talk and we share, you know, in Hawaii, you and I mentioned, we both have a connection to Hawaii, but in Mm -hmm. Hawaii, they talk about conversation. It's called talk story because Mm -hmm. that is what you are doing. You are sharing stories with one another. And this is how we make meaning of our lives. And, you know, this is how we, like, I just was thinking as you were talking about Helen Keller and how she didn't have a way to express herself. And so she Mm -hmm. acted animalistic because what else was she going to do until she finally figured out a way to say like the feelings that she had to like put something to it. So for anybody who's listening, I think this is also why, you know, journaling is so helpful. Why speaking to a therapist is so helpful. Why exploring different modalities of what can help you heal through some of the traumas that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. 
Can you speak to this psychological like first aid responder? Yes, it's actually a perfect segue about finding language and identifying first and foremost that something actually occurred. So the biggest component from psychological first aid, I call it in my mind and when I present and teach on it, I'm an instructor and a teacher through Red Cross. Mm. And so I'll, I'll, I'll teach this as well. And it's, it's literally human nature 101 and mm. it's communication 101. And it's identifying that something actually did occur. Mm. So you know how we spoke a little bit about microaggressions and like mm-hmm. there while growing up and even now as adults, we're like, did that just happen? Or did I just misperceive mm-hmm. that tone? Or you and I had a, an exchange also where like someone had asked a question and you were like, later as you walked away, you were like, mm-hmm. was she asking that question yeah. because of A or B? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so what psychological first aid does, it literally comes down to the basics of, first of all, did that just happen? Mm. If it did happen, was that real? And what do I need to do to be in the moment and acknowledge that it happened? Mm. And so I'm going to boil it down to super duper, super duper basic, mm-hmm. which is that say, um, so I've been out on, I've been in the field being as a responder to a natural, let's say a, a natural disaster, uh, a tornado. And so I'm in the field and I'm, I'm walking up to people who are trying to clean up what's left of their house that has just been demolished by a tornado. Mm-hmm. And instead of moving into the, what's the next plan? How are we going to rebuild? What do we need to do to clean up? The first thing I do when I meet with people as a psychological first aid, uh, I, I mixed all yeah. as, a, <laughs> as a responder, a disaster responder, I walk up and ask if they would like to have a, a drink of water. Mm. I ask if they would like to sit down. Mm. Because a lot of times people spring into action, do not take into account the enormity of what just happened, whether it's big T or little T. And in this case, this is a big T, their house was just destroyed. Animals, pets were were killed. Big T, can we just first take a moment to drink some water, sit down and take some breaths together? I don't need any other explanations to that. Mm -hmm. And so there is a six hour course that I teach about Mm -hmm. this basic human nature. How do we connect one-on-one? How do we hear each other one-on-one? Because the number one way to start healing trauma and to start healing pain is to acknowledge that it has occurred in the first place Mm -hmm. instead of running away from it, turning away from it. And it's a natural thing to do to, to either avoid it or get busy enough so that you're not thinking about what just happened. Mm. But just as important, if not more, is acknowledging that it happened at all. So if I were with you in that event where you were wondering if someone was actually making some sort of racial comment or they were trying to basically discredit you for some way, I would have been there saying, no, you're absolutely right. You heard that correctly. I heard that tone as well. Mm. And just the acknowledgement and just holding it in that moment, that's number one step. So psychological first aid responding. I've, I've jacked up the name a number of times. Yeah. I'll have to look at my badge to see what it actually is called. It's all of those words, mm-hmm. but it literally is responding to what just happened. Mm. And it doesn't matter if it is a certifiable 
actual trauma or event, if I've perceived that there was a threat to my safety or integrity Mm. and I am not responding to it, or I've not acknowledged a response, a natural response to it, that alone can be traumatic. That is Mm. trauma. Mm. I mean, as you're talking, I keep thinking about just parenting comes into play, um, relationship dynamics, you know, um, so often I think that it's hard and uncomfortable to hold space as someone is also going through something hard and uncomfortable. So the easier thing to do is be like, what's wrong? Like, you know, why why don't you just get over it? Like, it's fine. And so, yeah. And so that's (laughs) constantly great. Yeah. The get over it. Or, you know, I wrote down gaslighting because I feel like Yes, that happens a lot, whether purposely or inadvertently, the gaslighting. I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, why is that a big deal? And so I feel like, you know, people often give me the feedback that they feel very safe speaking with me. They feel like there's no judgment because Mm -hmm. I just look at them and I think, well, it's valid to you. So if it's valid to you, it is a valid thing. Whether or not Mm -hmm. I think it's valid is irrelevant. Like, Mm -hmm. unless it's, you know, obviously there's like, spectrums of this practice (laughs) there are like extremes to either end but yes I think for the most part a kindness that we can do for ourselves and for someone else as you're saying right now is to just take a beat just take Mm -hmm. a moment and just Mm -hmm. acknowledge like whether or not this is logical rational or justified I feel in this moment that's right this is what it feels like that's right so I'm just gonna take a moment and feel that Feeling it, and then you said something that's key, that's also a piece of being a responder in this moment, is uh, the environment of safety. Hmm. I probably won't tell you how I'm feeling or even pause if I don't feel like you're going to hold that space and feel that it's credible. The minute that you might, like I'd said, discredit me or dismiss me or downplay, Hmm. for me, that is a safety issue. Mm. why would I be quiet with somebody who isn't allowing for the quiet that they're Mm. actually trying to push it away by bringing it and making it lesser than Mm. gaslighting. That's not as important as you think it is. That's Mm. not as impactful or as, as dangerous as you think it is. Instead of saying, Oh, Oh my gosh, that sounds like it was extremely hard for you or not even saying anything at all. There is a safety component mm. in being silent together as well, right? Mm. Mm. I love that you're saying that because I don't think that that is highlighted enough that there is a safety component in being able to just be still. I think that that's why when I used to practice Reiki with clients, that they could just feel so surrendered in the moment because we are two adults in a shared space. There needs to be no conversation that's being had. And I think also, you know, we're keeping our clothes on. I think massage is one form of healing, but you're in a very vulnerable space. One person has clothes, the other one does not. So when you're both clothed in like this, you know, environment where I don't necessarily even need to place my hands on you, I can just like, you know, be around you, be in that space. I don't know of any other time as adults that we genuinely give ourselves that opportunity to do that, to like, Mm -hmm. just be around another adult and not say anything about it and not. Absolutely. Have you ever noticed that when you have some news to share, you might go through in your mind who you'd like to call first or who you might want to share that news with. Oh yeah, for sure. It's the same thing. Who would hold me in this space? And that's not to say Mm -hmm. that someone's better than the other, but there certainly is a degree of intimacy and safetyness 
in sharing anything that might be personal. So whether it's about, hey, I, I got a job promotion all the way to, hey, something really, really scary and bad happened to me. Mm. I need to know that you're going to hold this space for me. We do, because of cues and exchanges and interactions we've had, we know who that receiver, who the best receiver will be. That's so interesting. Yeah, I love that you're saying that because in the relationship that I'm in, one of the things that we've explored is the fact that, you know, I'm a super connector. So I have a lot of people in my life and because of the willingness that I have to be transparent and open, then they are also willing to do that with me. So I have deep connections with a lot of people and I know exactly when something happens, who I'm going to call and who I'm going to reach out to. And it's not that I don't want to reach out to him. It's just more like in my mind, I've already been trained. Like this person can do this, this person can do this. And so we've actually had to have a conversation about like, well, how can I more practice that with him? And one of the things that my friend shared with me, and she's a teacher and I loved the way that she put it, because I think that another thing that we don't do is we don't often set ourselves up for success. We don't put like Mm. the systems and the frameworks in place to help support and make things easier. And so, you know, she was saying like, well, why don't you have a conversation with him and ask like, what are the ways that you support someone best? How do you support people best? And then you can practice relying upon him for that. And then after that, you know, then start to see if you can start to broaden that into other areas. But part of it is just because intimate relationships with me have felt like so volatile for so long. And Mm -hmm. there's been so many violations that have happened So I think in my mind, I've correlated this person equals intimate relationship equals this potential, you know, downfall or whatever. And so it's Mm -hmm. just to say that there's, well, first, I'm glad to hear that it's normal that you compartmentalize and like, you know, think like, I will go to this person for this, but two, just that again, you know, we are all learning and growing. So it's not like there's some end point that we're going to get to. And I love what you said that the first thing is just, you know, creating that space Mm -hmm. And just giving them some water and giving them a place to sit. And then, so like in everyday life, when we start to experience some of these other, you know, which is going to be a very broad generalized uh, question because so many incidents could be so different (laughs) and each person is going to respond so differently. Very true. But are there tips and tools that you can offer that as we are going through those, that we can kind of, I don't know, mitigate the impact or just learn how to navigate because they're never going to stop. I was just saying this morning, it's so weird that we are trying to heal other traumas as every day we're experiencing something new. Like, so it's Mm -hmm. like a perpetual flow. What would you say to that? Yes. Well, first of all, I wanted to agree wholeheartedly. There is actually such thing as chronic and complex trauma Mm -hmm. because of the repetition and the frequency in which you experience it. And again, that really doesn't matter as much that, that there's little T trauma and big T trauma It's that it's constantly happening and it doesn't seem to stop. How is it that we're able to even process what just happened 30 minutes ago when we're still reeling from what happened yesterday? And there just never seems to be that break. So I just wanted to acknowledge what you'd said there mm-hmm. as well, that there is the possibility that there is not a break and mm-hmm. that there isn't enough enough time or space to truly process and mm-hmm. grieve and address mm-hmm. what's happened. However, it might sound like a broken record here, but there is a way to become present and there is a way to, again, find that pause. Mm-hmm. 
there's a couple places I'm coming from with my answer. There is a neurologist called Viktor Frankl. He wrote a mm-hmm. book called Man's Search for Meaning. And what's interesting about him is that he is a neuro he was an, a neuroscientist. He was an MD and he, what he did was well a number of things that he did, but basically he was in Auschwitz in the internment camps and he lost everybody, his pregnant wife, his, mm-hmm. his siblings, his cousins, his parents in the concentration camps. And yet he still was able to come on the other side of it going, I've survived and this is how, and I still have a positive idea of what this world could be. Mm-hmm. And so you want to talk about someone who's experienced trauma. I mean, this man, I'd say, has all the credibility in the world. And what he came up with is that the suffering, the suffering may not ever stop. There might always be something painful and traumatic happening in our lives, but we have the opportunity to choose how to respond to it. Mm-hmm. So basic tips and tricks around how to navigate can be brought back to what we learned in yoga and in meditation practices, which is taking five seconds to do an inhale, a pause, Mm -hmm. and an exhale Mm -hmm. so that you can remind your body that while everything had happened and more things are going to happen in this moment, we can pause Mm-hmm. and we can we can we can connect again with our physical somas and say i am here right now how am i going to choose the next 5 seconds mm-hmm. so pausing breathing small movements if that also means just putting your arms overhead to do a stretch there's been a lot of research from also neuroscientists who have discovered that It's nearly, if not 100% impossible to be stressed or anxious if you are physically moving and in the present moment. If you are concentrating on something that is happening, let's say I'm painting my nails Mm -hmm. and I'm concentrating on keeping that goddamn color still on my (laughs) nail and not getting on the cuticles for that inch of a second, that nth of a second, I am more concerned about how I'm going to keep my color on my nails than I am about the next traumatic or scary thing that's going to come down the line or the next bill that I need to try to Mm -hmm. find and pay. Mm -hmm. If we can be present and be working in these quiet, but also small and minuscule spaces, it's actually, that's our way of generating, generating a little bit of a break, that Mm -hmm. pause Mm -hmm. in the suffering, in the whirlwind, in the chaos. I love what you're saying because it can be small. I think that so often I was just having a conversation with a friend and, you know, she's in this dynamic that it's apparent to her and to others around her who care for her that she needs to get out of this dynamic. So as we're talking, she's like, yes, I realize I need to set healthier boundaries. I need to do this. I'm like, okay, those are all big things. But when you are in that moment and you're being triggered by this experience or this person, that's not what you're going to be thinking about is that I need to uphold healthier boundaries because- you're not in your rational brain any longer. You're in your primal brain. That's right. So that's what the kids are getting into when they start having meltdowns and whatever, like there's no way to rationalize with them because they're, they're just not even accessing that part of the brain. So for this, you know, so I told her like, can you just write down on a piece of paper that you can keep close the literal actual things that you will do in that moment? Like, what are you going to do in the next five minutes? And so I love what you're saying is just, yeah, like stay focused on that teeny tiny 
bit. And that can be monumentally important and helpful. Exactly. There's something around, say, progressive muscle relaxation exercises. If I'm asking you for a moment to concentrate on the right side of your pinky toe, Mm -hmm. There's two seconds, maybe not that long. I don't know where we're going to pause a second in everything and be like, yeah, where is my right side? What, what <laughs> pinky toe? Where is my foot right now? For God's sake, you know? So <laughs> it's moments like that, where it's just, you can remove yourself from the situation. Hmm. You can remove yourself from the stressor. You can choose to, at the very least, like I said, take five seconds to see where am I right now in the here and now. Hmm. So that this here and now person can now make the next decision or the next move. And then after that, do you just make the next choice? Is it the next like right best choice that you can make? It's at least clearer. Mm -hmm. It's a more holistic, it's a whole body experience instead of just an impulse. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little more informed. Mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. a decision like that. Here's where it gets fun too. We mentioned a couple of things right now. It could be breathing. It could be a progressive muscle relaxation, but there's a whole bunch of different ways that are specific to who we are as individuals that can get us to the pause. For me, it's mm-hmm. listening to music. Mm-hmm. You had suggested to a friend and or client to concentrate on writing down mm-hmm. for a few minutes. So if that means that my, my suggestion is to pick what feels most aligned with you. What is your most natural mm-hmm. um, draw? So for me, it is to dance, it's to move, but also I like to listen to music. So if mm-hmm. I know and I can feel that I'm spiraling out or I need a moment or I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I put on some music and just kind of shake and dance for a few mm-hmm. minutes, again, it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't even mm-hmm. have to be 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but give yourself a moment to shake for five minutes mm-hmm. There will be a more informed and centered place from which you can make a decision hmm. between when you start dancing and when you stop dancing. So. Well, one of my friends wrote a book called Call of the Wild, and um, mm. she was saying that wild animals, they don't carry stress with them no. from moment to moment because they're very present. And also if they do experience a stressful moment, so say like some animal comes and tries to attack them, but they're able to get away. They do take that time to literally like shake and shake yes. it out of their system. And yes. it was just such a great, like, you know, visceral understanding. We are all animals as well. So like, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. no wonder that that makes sense. And we just, in our modern day are just like, I'm just going to muscle through it. Cause I have the power of my brain to try to sh- push myself into the next thing so that, yeah. you know, I can get into the next thing. Yeah. I'm curious for you because of the trauma that you worked with, how do you maintain like a healthy self-care? If you mm. have that, how do you avoid that kind of burnout? Girl, you're after my own heart <laughs> with that question. A lot of it has to do with who I choose to be in my safety circle as we've talked about, who in my line of list am I going to talk to or connect with after I've had a particularly uh, challenging conversation mm-hmm. with a client or something, uh, get something that maybe triggered or brought up my own stuff. Mm-hmm. So I know right away, I've got three people-ish that I know could be in my dial-a-friend Mm -hmm. dial a friend unit. So I know Mm -hmm. who I can talk to at any time of any point of the day. Mm -hmm. I also engage in physical breaks. Mm -hmm. So let's say I've got a back-to-back day. I build in 10 minutes in between and I get up and I shake. 
I get up and I do some stretching. And that's more immediate. That's again, to complete almost my response process. It's interesting that you spoke about sort of our primal animalistic instincts and they know no one has to tell them. They don't have to overanalyze to shake things off or to like let out a good roar, you know, noise to move it. So I kind of go back to that piece as well. I'll shake, I'll make some noise. I'll, I'll, Mm -hmm. I'll stretch it out. I'll listen to music. And then at the end of the day, I actually build in, I, I, I have enough in me to know that by the end of the day, oh, one of the big things is, is that I keep my boundaries. I don't mm-hmm. go over. If I'm going to work until five o'clock, I am done at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. I will not move past that mm-hmm. because of the integrity and the agreement that I've made. Mm-hmm. So it's a holding my agreements with myself. And then it's actually scheduling in something that would be like a full on release. If that means getting to the hot springs or the spa place later that night, if it means having a great conversation and dinner with my husband, you know, we, we have that planned out later, but I build in ways to offer relief and um, comfort and sometimes it's a, it's, it's a little, it's a little S for self-care and it's a big S for self-care, but a little S could literally be, like I'd said, drinking a lot of water and calling my day at five o'clock, mm. keeping those promises to myself. I mean, yeah. everything that you're describing is just like setting yourself up for success, anticipating yeah. that like, okay, this day is going to be packed and full. And at the end of the day, I'm going to have the person that I need there or the thing that I need to alleviate whatever else, you know, and yeah. I think that as you were talking about boundaries, because I know that that's something that's so challenging, especially if you grew up in enmeshed families where the adult and child parentified child situation happens and you don't have Mm -hmm. like a clear understanding of whose role is supposed to be what, then the boundaries is so challenging. The other thing that we've been talking about is that there are many different access points to get to where you need to be or where you want to go. And Mm -hmm. I would really like to underscore that because, you know, for what we're talking about right now, if having healthy boundaries is hard, Another way to look at it is, but I want to be of service to the people that I work with. And so in order to best be of service, I need to first take care of myself, which, you know, you can ask any mom, that's like a big lesson that they always say, like when your child takes a nap, you take a nap. (laughs) And especially when they're infants and it's like, no, that's not going to happen. I got to do this and this. And then you just keep, you know, burning out. And so it's, we're culturally created to like, believe that working hard and hustling and grinding is so key and There's a woman who I've been studying or kind of just like reading some of her stuff and her whole ethos is the hands-off CEO. So how can you build it so that you don't have to be at like the pivotal crux point of everything if you actually want to grow and create a sustainable business? And if you want to grow and create a sustainable life, how can you do it so that, you know, it's not, it, you get to define the terms or you get to create what it means for you. I think that that's, that's huge. That's absolutely it. And, and defining what that means, what your comfort and care practices are, they may look a little different than mine, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just, it's just defining and knowing what uh, nourishes and replenishes you. Mm-hmm. And like I said, for me, it's, it could be listening to music. It could be having a really cheesy, salty dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Those are good. They're so good. They're good. And it could be a massage. Like we've talked about, that's the big S self-care. Like maybe, maybe I go out and have this huge gesture, but again, it doesn't have to be. Everything can be really impactful if you keep it small and concentrated and no drama. Just let's see what's happening in this five second window right now. Mm -hmm. 
So as we're closing this interview, I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, which is along this idea of fuck saving face and breaking through taboos, what's something that you would like to shine a light on? What's a truth that you wish people would know or examine or just some sort of key takeaway that you want to offer Mm. and yeah, give Mm. to people who are listening? So good. (laughs) Gosh, and so many answers, so many answers. But for today, there's a lot of wisdom and healing in in the listening for the pause, Mm -hmm. that we can slow down. And in fact, that might be exactly what we're needing to truly Mm -hmm. start the healing process is to stop, pause, Mm -hmm. listen, notice. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's all we need to do before we can make our next informed move. I love that. I love it so much. I love it so much, partly because when I was growing up, my mom was like constantly encouraging us to multitask to the nth degree. Thank you. And it was like, you better make use of every single moment of your time. So if you're here doing this thing, and then like, let's say you like, you know, set the clothes for the wash and then the washing machine is going. And as you're waiting for that to go, then you can go do this other thing. And as you're doing that, you can do this other thing. And so that's how I was trained because lazy was seen as like the worst possible thing that you could be. But I think that there was some sort of misconception about laziness. Like I have had adult you know, like partners or friends look at me and they're like, you can just stop, you know, that like, you can just like chill out and mm-hmm. sit here and watch a show. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, cause no, no I no, got berated not- for that before. Like <laughs> I couldn't do that. Right. There's shame Relax. around. Yeah. Relaxing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. No, I, I love that so much. I was also going to add an, uh, make an addendum, which is that it doesn't have to be hard. Mm-hmm. It can be easy. And it can be small, like we had said, these small gestures can be just as impactful, if not more so. Mm. And that the resting and the ease and the pause, it's actually still a part of the same cycle. You, you referenced it. We could not be of service. We cannot have our energy at our optimal pace and availability if we have no energy left in our in our tanks Mm -hmm. if we have no way to to show up anymore because we are so goddamn tired Mm -hmm. so it's actually the more you insert and make time for these breaks and pauses and rests the more optimal you'll be and the more successful you'll be and that's your messaging you are showing others that that's okay to Mm. do that I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. If people want to follow up with you, where can they find you? Oh, thank you for having me. Um, They can find me in a number of different ways. Uh, Instagram, you can find me at Bliss Begins Within. I have a podcast called Stories of Astonishing Light. So you are welcome to listen into that. You and I had a conversation, which will be airing hopefully soon too, Mm -hmm. that people can follow up on with that. So yeah. Uh, And then you can also find me at blissbeginswithin.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope that you got as much out of that interview as the time that I spent with KJ. It was an incredible, heartwarming opportunity to truly connect. And, you know, when you meet those people in your life who really get you and who really see you, it's a very remarkable gift. So I hope that you know that in your life, 
there are people who see you and who get you. And hopefully by hearing the stories throughout this podcast in season one thus far, you've heard other people who get you and resonate with you, including myself. I look forward to seeing you on Friday for our mindfulness practice. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard and know someone in your life who might also benefit from hearing this episode, please feel free to share it with them. Also, if you'd like to support our show, you can make a one-time donation at fucksavingface.com or you can make a recurring donation at patreon.com forward slash fucksavingface. That's fuck without the U. Subscribe today to stay tuned for all future episodes.